You know, to those who knew me growing up, it would not be a huge surprise to them that I'm doing what I do today. Um, I loved church growing up. I always went to small churches, um, but I was not afraid to be noticed. You know, we'd be in junior church, and I was always the one being um, reprimanded for speaking out. I know that my son does not take after me at all, right? Oh. Right, not at all. Um, I didn't mind standing out. I was a little bit mischievous. I mean, I was actually... Um, the narrator for our Christmas play. I remember the first time I gave a little um, devotional thought in church. Um, so it was kind of part of my background, but I was also mischievous. In fact, one time I remember we were at Pond Anybody know what Ponderosa is? Who knows what Ponderosa is? Yes. It's like a buffet style, kind of like a golden corral up north in, in, in Ohio. So we would go to the Ponderosa on Sundays, and there was an older guy in the youth group. There's always a, it's always a bad omen when there's a younger guy and an older guy getting into mischief. So we decided to have some fun with the preacher. Um, so we went into the restroom at Ponderosa. We knew that Sid, Sid Clay, the evangelist that we had known for years, was in there. And so he, Steve and I decided to bang on the door and uh, let him know that we needed to get in there immediately. Um, and that, it went something like this. Boom, boom, boom. Hurry up, man. I got to go. So um, immediately we scurried out of there. And um, I don't know that Sid ever knew to this day who it was. He probably did, knowing me and knowing Steve. Um, so I was um, a bit mischievous, um, but people were generally glad that my family was present. You know, my family, the Bondies, we have a knack for livening up the party. And, you know, I did have a season in my life that was a bit formative. I kind of got quiet. We all do. You know, teenager, you're kind of unsure of yourself, trying to figure out what you want to do with your life, going to young adulthood. But eventually, the unique ways that God has shaped and gifted me have kind of come out as I've continued to seek Him. Now, my purpose in this message is to prompt you to consider both who God is and how he has uniquely shaped you. There's a gentleman named Dan Miller. He's a career coach. He talks about finding your ideal vocational path. He said it's actually 70% introspective. In other words, you don't need to look outside to figure out the way that you need to go. You need to look inside. You need, and in fact, specifically, he says you need to look back. He said it's more of a process of uncovering things about yourself than it is of discovering. We kind of have this idea we're going to walk out and one day we're going to bump into that perfect thing we're supposed to do with our lives. But the reality is a lot of it is uncovering, recovering, remembering those things that moved you, that shaped you in the past. I believe this applies to our spiritual calling as well. When you were young in the faith, when you were first trusted Christ, you know, the things that you were drawn to then, the, the service opportunities, the volunteer opportunities that you were drawn to when you were young in the faith, they can be clues how you are specifically shaped for service. Now, when the Apostle Paul was confronted by Jesus on the Damascus Road, y'all know who that is, right? Apostle Paul, he was like the, mid, the, the penultimate missionary of his time. He, he made many trips, three specific journeys. And he was really, he went after it with all that he had. But when he was confronted by Jesus on the Damascus Road, he had to rethink everything, right? He thought he knew it all. He, he was confident. He was zealous but he had to rethink everything he knew about God. He had to rethink everything he knew about himself. But as we'll see in our message today, who he already was, who Paul already was, the place he grew up, the person that he was, the schooling that he had, had very much to do with who he would become. It had very much to do with who he would become. And then after we consider Paul's specific qualifications, I'm going to articulate three questions which helped him come to grips with what Jesus was asking of him. And my prayer is that these three questions will help you to begin to consider how God has prepared each of you individually to also be a chosen 
instrument. Because I don't know where you're at today. Maybe you're in a new season. You've got new responsibilities. You've got less responsibilities. I don't know. But you might be wondering, God, you know, back then I knew what it was you wanted me to do. But what do you want me to do now? I mean, what do you want me to do in this unique situation, this season of my life? What is it you're calling of me? The first point today is that Paul was uniquely shaped for his calling. And here's a few things about Paul. Firstly, Saul, which was his name back then, was zealous but mistaken. Sign. So Saul was zealous, but he was mistaken. He was passionate. He was all up in everybody's business about this new thing, this new Christian faith. He wanted it to be squelched. He wanted it to be squashed because he believed with all his heart that it was wrong and that it was a cult. So Saul was driven to eradicate this fledgling movement. Okay. So Saul was driven to eradicate this fledgling. And in Acts 7, verse 60, we see that Saul was present and he approved at Stephen's execution. So what are some ways in which you and I can be zealous but mistaken? You ever been really passionate about something like believing that the Falcons are going to win the Super Bowl? Right? Yeah? We just believe. I mean, we're zealous but we're mistaken. Now, my um, kind of pipe dream is that the Cincinnati Bengals one day will win the Super Bowl. And they've been in it twice, but they have not even gotten close since. So that's a bit of a pipe dream. But Saul was zealous, but mistaken. I've told you about a time before when I was, when I offended some coworkers. I challenged them to kind of raise their standards as far as the music they were listening to at the workplace. But the way that I did it was not helpful. I was zealous. My heart was in the right place, but I was kind of off base in the way I applied that. And in the same way, Saul was zealous. He really cared about God. He cared about his faith, but in the end, he was mistaken. But this shaped him. We'll see why in just a moment. Secondly, an encounter with Jesus rocked his world. I mean, he comes on the Damascus Road. He's about to go arrest some more Christians, and then God appears to him. Jesus appears to him in a bright light and blinds him and shocks him. And he says these powerful words as Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And at that point, Saul is convinced that he's in the right. He's convinced that he's doing God's will and he's passionate and he's doing what he thinks is right. And Jesus says, you're persecuting me. And so Jesus lets him know, startling to him, that he is actually against the person that he thinks he's for. And then Jesus encourages Saul to live for him rather than against him. And you know what people need to realize in our world today is that there is no neutral option. If you talk to somebody... Are you, a, are you a Jesus follower? Are you a Christian? And they say, no, I'm not. No, no, I never did that. Or I used to, but I don't now. But I don't have anything against Jesus. I don't have anything against church. But what Saul realized in this powerful encounter was you're either for him or against him. That's right. You're either on the team or, or on the opposing team. And we know which one wins. So one of our challenges, and something that Paul became convinced of when Jesus confronted him, was he said, you know what? I'm going to be for Jesus, because the only other option is against him. So Saul had an encounter with Jesus that rocked his world. And then also, Saul was chosen for a reason. Paul, which became his name, was appointed to suffer. But why was he a good candidate? Think about this for a moment. Paul was going to be called by God to go into foreign lands, talk to people he didn't know, stir up opposition from his own people, often be under threat of death. Why was Saul, or Paul, chosen? Why was he a good candidate? Well, firstly, he was zealous, right? We just talked about that. He was passionate. 
He put his faith into action. But also, and I think this is equally important, he was painfully aware. You hear, you hear him talk about it in his writings. Chief of all sinners, I don't deserve to be here. It's only by the grace of God. He was painfully aware of the damage he had done. He had much to atone for. And even though he was forgiven, and he knew that, he was forgiven not because of something he did, but he had a lot to atone for. And it drove him, it moved him to be zealous for the right reasons. So this combination of zeal and being the one who had been forgiven much caused him to be fearless in fulfilling his calling. Remember that little story Jesus told? He said, he who has been forgiven little will love little. But he who has been forgiven much will love much. And that was definitely Paul. And you know what? If you read the narrative of Acts, Paul was fearless. Paul was focused. Until he was eventually executed because of his faith. He was fearless and he was focused in fulfilling his calling. So we see that Paul was uniquely qualified to do what the Lord called him to do. And now we're going to turn to you and to me. Let's turn to those three questions that were as relevant to Paul as they are to us today. May they help to guide you as you determine what God is asking of you in this particular season of your life. So here's three questions to determine how God is leading you. Number one. Who is God? In Acts chapter 17. Am I too loud? Yeah. Okay, can, we, can you turn me down just a skosh? Otherwise, I'm going to blow the eardrums off. This, this is my normal voice. Okay, great, super, fabulous. Just kidding. Okay, so who is God? Acts chapter 17, verses 24 through 27. Saul, or sorry, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix it now. It's Paul. At this point, it's Paul. He is in Athens. He's talking to people who are not religious really at all. I mean, they talk about a lot of ideas. And this is how Paul answers the question, who is God? He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Because those guys, they thought there were multiple gods. Paul's saying there is one God, the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. And human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. And again, at that time, what, where did religion center around? Places of worship, right? Temples, sacrifices, rituals. It was all about those things. He's saying this, is, this God that you don't know is totally different. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. He doesn't need anything from you. He's the one who satisfies needs. From one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth, and he decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. His purpose, and this is the kind of God that Paul serves, his purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him that he is not far from any one of us. So, in opposition to the gods that they worshipped who were sitting in the temple and saying, you come to me, you bring me gifts, you sacrifice, you, you bless me, you please me. This God is different. This God is a seeking God. This isn't a God who's bound in a building. He goes out and he seeks people. He seeks to draw people to himself. So Paul's talking about who is God? What would be Paul's answer? He's saying this is a seeking God with a global infatuation. And this inspires you to care as God does. And what does God care about? What does the scripture say? What does God care about? Us. People, right? God cares about people. 
Has God moved you to care about people as he does? Does he move me to care about people as he does? And sadly, my answer is sometimes. We're honest, right? Sometimes, depending on what mood I'm in, depending on what time of day it is, depending on the kind of week I've had, maybe I'll care about people. In fact, just this week I was out at a park and I was with a, a friend, a minister friend, and then his uh, kind of his disciple. He's probably about 20 years old. And I, I walked right by this little boy, and uh, he had a little baseball. I didn't know him, and I was just kind of focused on what I was doing. I walked right past him. Well, the young guy, Jack, walked up behind me, and he knelt down in front of the little boy. And I could tell he was asking his name. He was talking about his baseball. He was getting to know him a little bit and trying to have some influence. And in that moment, I was challenged. Like God reminded me that he's calling me to love as I'm capable of. I mean, there's many moments where I'm leaning into the Lord. And he inspires me to care deeply for other people. But in other moments like this, when I casually walk past a soul for whom Christ died without thought. And that's a confession. And I'm sure that you can stand up here and confess. But I won't ask you to, so don't get nervous. Okay? God has called us to care about people as he does. So who is God? This is a seeking God who leaves his temple, who is infatuated with the world and loves and cares for people. The second question is, who am I? Who am I? Philippians chapter 3, verses 5 through 7, Paul is kind of giving a defense. He was always under attack. There were other people who were vying for the, for the attention and the allegiance of the people that Paul was teaching and preaching to. So he's saying, hey, here's my qualification. So he knew who he was. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. So he's saying, if there's a perfect person out there, I'm about as close as you can get. I mean, I, I am the man. I've got all the qualifications, but listen to this. I once thought these things were valuable. I once thought that this was valuable. I put everything I had into being this guy that everybody looked up to, that everybody thought highly of. But I now consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Now, it's not worthless. I mean, his background, his, it uniquely shaped him for his calling. But what's he saying? He's saying this was only meaningful in light of a relationship with Jesus. All those things, all those gifts, all those raw abilities that God had given him were only meaningful in light of a relationship with Christ. Now, let me ask you a question. Does possessing the tools of a craftsman make you one? No? No? Oh, man, I just bought that woodworking set. It doesn't? Does having a, a musical instrument make you a musician? No. Does having a paintbrush make you an artist? Does having a microphone make you a preacher? No. But what does make you a craftsman, in addition to experience? Because you can have somebody who will technically master the skills of a trade or a, or a craft, but you wouldn't call them craftsmen. What does it take to be a craftsman? Okay, you're zealous. Practice. But this is the word that I chose. It takes inspiration, doesn't it? it takes inspiration. You, when you see a craftsman who is doing their craft, that thing that they love, that thing that they're passionate about, 
and then they show you that peace that they've developed, you can just see it, that they, that they were inspired when they did it. They were inspired when they wrote that piece of music. They were inspired when they crafted that, that thing with tools. They were moved. They were inspired by something. So the point is, is that when you and I are inspired by Jesus, the raw abilities and the tools that he has given us come to life. Because each person in this room is a unique makeup, right? You've got your experiences. You've got your relationships. You've got your skills and abilities. And it's just kind of raw materials. But when it is inspired by the master, the master craftsman, then it comes to life. It's activated. So what has God placed in you that is waiting to come to life? So the first question is, who is God? He's a God. He's a seeking God. He's a, a God who's infatuated with people. And we can follow his lead. And who are you? How has God made you? What are the raw abilities and gifts that he's given you that he's waiting to activate, that are just awaiting inspiration from Jesus? And then thirdly, the third question is, what moves me? And for Paul, he made no bones about this. Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. With Christ as my witness, I speak with utter truthfulness. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and an unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. So Paul was pretty clear. He was compassionate. He was obedient when it came to reaching non-Jews. He did. If you watch him, he was zealous. He was focused. He was fearless. I mean, there was a time when he went to the, the city of Lystra, and the Jews, the other Jews, stirred up some problems for him, and they got him stoned. And I'm not talking about in that sense. I mean, they got him stoned in the way they, they tried to kill him. And they left him for dead. And you know what Paul did the next day? Because he was called, because he was courageous, because he was uniquely shaped for this task, he got back up the next day and went back into town. Talk about a courageous man, inspired. He's just a raw, he's just a tool. That's what God called him. He was just an instrument, but inspired by Jesus to become something more. He became a prophet. He became somebody who did incredible, impossible things through the power of the Holy Spirit. Another story from later in his life is a poisonous snake attaches itself to his arm, and he's on an island. He's been shipwrecked, and these local villagers say, oh, he's toast. He's done. The snake falls off and he shows no ill effects and then they start wanting to worship him. So God was powerful in, in Paul's life. And he was compassionate and obedient when it came to reaching the Gentiles but he was passionate about the salvation of his own people. He confides that a primary motivation for his obedience to his calling is the hope that he might somehow arouse jealousy amongst his own people that would lead to their salvation. And here's the point. When it comes to discerning what God wants you to do, remember this. This is one of those words to live by. When it comes to discerning what God wants you to do, what moves you can be a clue. When it comes to discerning what God wants you to do in this season, what moves you, what moved Paul can be a clue. So what moves you? What moves you? Is it working with children? Is it Working with seniors? Is it working with the poor? Like a fish? Is it working with people from other cultures? Like for me? Is it inspiring men? Is it encouraging women? Is it standing up for the rights of the unborn? What is it that moves you? What is it that gets you going? What is it that makes you mad? What is it that gets you out of bed in the morning? 
What's a cause that you can give yourself for that would cause you to be fearless and focused? What moves you can be a clue? And the reason is because the bottom line today is God made you, you, for a reason. And that's the encouraging message today, that God made you, you, for a reason. Now, what if we had a deep respect and admiration for the God of the Bible like the Apostle Paul did? You know, what if you and I believe that God cares about people? And when we go through our daily lives and we're tempted to just ignore people or just do that thing that we do where we just focus straight ahead. Some guy did that to me the other day. I know him. He just pretended he didn't see me. I'm not hurt. But we do that. Don't we? we get so focused on what we're doing that we overlook opportunities? What if we allow God to move us to care about people as he does? And also, what if we were more aware of ourselves? Huh? Those, the unique abilities, the raw capabilities and tools that God's given you. What if we were more aware of ourselves, where we come from? What if we prayed for Jesus to activate those raw abilities and tools that he has given us? And say, God, I think I've got some skills. I think I've got some abilities. I think I've got something to offer, but it's kind of gone dormant. I'm a little bit too focused on me. So please help me activate those abilities. What if you and I would also become inspired craftsmen, inspired by our Creator? You ever seen somebody who just looks ordinary, and then they get the light of Christ in their eyes, and they start doing extraordinary things with extraordinary passion and zeal? And it's just like, where did that come from? I remember there was a couple who had motorcycle riders, and uh, they were not living for the Lord. DQ and Beth used to come to our church when I was a kid, and uh, they got saved. They became Christians. And they were like, God, what do you want us to do? I mean, we're with these leather-wearing, you know, sailors-wearing bikers. I mean, what, 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 what can you do with someone like us? You know what they started doing? They started going to biker rallies. And they would set up a little tent. And they would offer free meals. And they would share the gospel with people who they could relate to. And so they went from being people that they thought, there's no way that God can use me to be inspired craftsmen, inspired by the Creator, to use those things, those, those abilities and those, those natural giftings and shapings to, to glorify Him. You know, what if you and I would learn to pay attention to the clues? If we would become disciplined, when you're moved by God, when you're upset about something and you were tempted to say, somebody ought to do something about that. Right? Did we ever do that? Somebody ought to do something about that. you got to watch out for that. Don't get you into the mission people. That's what happened to me. I was moved by a need and I said, somebody ought to do something about that. And then God said, how about you? So, what if we can learn to pay attention, become disciplined, to follow what moves us? Just imagine what God could do. You know, God made you, you, for a reason. He made me, me, for a reason. What if each one of us was willing to throw our hat in the ring and say, God, I don't know what my part is, but I'm willing to do my part, whatever. God, thank you for today and this chance to be together with my friends. I pray that you would move us, God, as you move the Apostle Paul to recognize who you are, to recognize who we are and how you made us, but also to pay attention, God, to the clues that are, that are the ways that we're moved, the, the, the things that make us emotional, the things that make us excited, the things that make us upset, God. I pray that you would move us and lead us and guide us so that we can be in the game, we can do our part, throw our hat in the ring, and be willing to do our part, whatever it is. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.